Good morning, Charged Up Studio listeners, once again for another podcast here. This is Dana Oliva with Market Admi LLC and Charged Up Studio. I am here with Charlene Seda. Hi, how are you? Thank you for having us. Yes, no, you're welcome. Charlene is with the Central Florida Immigration Attorneys. Uh, immigration is something that uh, I'm, I'm very familiar with, having worked internationally. So I'm, I'm really excited to hear what Charlene has to say. She has two decades of experience. So why don't you give me your bio? Tell me, tell me a little bit about you, okay? Sure. Um, I am from Puerto Rico, really proud of being from Mayaguez, Puerto Rico. I've been in immigration law since 2010. I did my master's in law at the University of Miami School of Law, had the opportunity to have great mentors. One of them was Kirsten, Ira Kirsten, who is the author of the book that actually the judges use to decide the cases and that all of the immigration's attorney um, can't live and survive without it. So, and after that, I, I was in the clinic in the University of Miami. That was my first experience as an immigration attorney, worked into different firms in Miami. And then um, we opened our first office in Sebring, Florida in 2013 with my husband. Afterward, I had the opportunity to go into the agency to the other side after being a defense immigration attorney, I was an immigration officer myself and adjudicated um, family petitions, I-485s and 400s, applications for citizenship, for waivers um, in Miami. I was there for almost two years. And after that, we opened our second location in Orlando, Florida in 2018. And since then, we have been here. Very good. So where in Puerto Rico are you from? Mayagüez, the west part. I say Ah. the pretty part where the pretty beaches are at. (laughs) And your husband's an immigration attorney as well? Yes, he's he's also an attorney and he also practices immigration. Ah, okay. Okay. He's from Ponce, so that's that's an internal fight at home. (laughs) He's he's what? He's from? He's from Ponce, from the south part of Puerto Rico. Well, that's where David's mother is from. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes. Okay. So, um, today we're going to, like I said, we're going to be talking about immigration and immigration as it relates to business. So, what we mean here is Um, companies who are trying to break into the United States, into our country with their businesses, but also companies who are trying to hire or bring over illegal immigrants, right? Correct. Okay. And there might be more. We'll get into it a little bit more. (laughs) Um, So tell me a little bit about what is involved in getting a legal status in the United States? Well, you can get a legal status to, through different means, right? It depends, first of all, if you're inside the United States or outside the United States. If you're inside the United States, then we have to go into the you enter legally. Are you still in your non-immigrant visa? Important to know that we have non-immigrant and immigrant visas. The non-immigrant is temporary. It's a limited period of time that allows you to be in the United States. Some of them allows you to work, some of them do not. And the immigrant visa are the ones that are permanent and can lead you to the permanent residency. And 
normally they all allow you to work. So if you're outside the United States, you can be brought to the United States through a family petition from an immediate relative, which can be a husband from a lawful permanent resident or citizen, a, a son or daughter of a lawful permanent resident or citizen, or a parent. Those are the immediate relatives. Everybody else is a category relative. So you can have an application through one of your immediate relatives. And after that is approved, then you go through what is called the adjustment of status process if you're inside the United States or the consular process if you're outside the United States. Another way you can come into the United States if, is if you have a job offer. Either you are a skilled worker or an unskilled worker. So depending on the work that you do is the company that is going to hire you right and you need to have a job offer and that job offer has to meet the requirements of the state federal and especially immigration law which means that the wages that you pay that foreign worker needs to be matching to the one that you would pay an american working or making the same um doing having the same skills right and being in the same position however for these companies uh-huh, go ahead. So, so in other words, what you're saying, okay, I'm just clearing things up for our, our listeners. Okay. Oh, first of all, what you, <laughs> first of all, what you're saying is um, when you talk about, what was it you said? It's, it's either they have a green card or they don't. Correct. Okay. Well, immigrant visa and non-immigrant visa. Right, exactly. Okay. And non-immigrant visas are the ones where they come over and they're not qualified or? Non-immigrant visas are, for example, the tourist visa. It's a visa that allows you to come in the United States for the amount of time that the officer tells you at the port of entry. Normally people think it's six months because that's the that's the rule right that's the norm whoever the immigration officer can say no you've been here three times this year i'm only going to allow you for three days but the norm is six months you can have an f1 visa which is a student visa Mm -hmm. you can have a j1 visa which is still a non-immigrant visa but it does allow you to work because that's the whole purpose of the j1 program that you get experience in the united states from the career or profession that you're studying in your country So all these visas have regulations that you have to follow, especially for time, have limitations in time frames. How long can you have that visa or be in the United States with that visa? And if you can work or not. With the tourist visa, you cannot work. With the student visa, you can only have a part-time and it has to be relating to what you are studying. So the non-immigrant is a lot more um, regulated if we would say, or limited than the immigrant visa, which the immigrant visa can be an L1. I have a company in my country. I want to open a subsidiary in the United States. And through that opening and through that second, right, my my, um, subsidiary of the company, Mm -hmm. I will be able to work, employ um, my staff, and I have an immigrant visa. And I'm going to be able to renew it as long as I comply with the income that I need to make, my business plan, the employees that I need to hire within a certain amount of time. So that's an immigrant visa. Right. Okay. So that's the L1 visa. And yeah, that's where I, 
that's what I'm familiar with, with companies that I have worked with. Okay. But, but more than the L1, you have the O's, which is for artists or for athletes. You have the R's, which is for religious workers. So you have many categories for the immigrant visa as well. Okay. Okay. So um, I, for instance, I had a company that I was working with and it was a, um, healthcare company. And what they did was they brought in nurses from all over the world to help here. Okay. Okay. So what kind of a visa are we looking at for something like that? Because Many they're times, bringing professional, you know. Yes. But it, it would that, would those professionals stayed for two, three years or normally they would stay for a year, a year. Yeah. That's a day one. That's a J1. Okay. They, they became nurses or practitioners in their countries. Uh-huh. And now they are through this program, um, getting experience and knowledge, especially on the um, medical technology, right, right? That we have in the United States that many times this country do not have them in, in their countries. So they're getting knowledge and experience there so they can take it back. So one of the main requirements in that J-1 program is to go back. Actually, uh, in the passport, they have the majority of them, because there's always an exception, but the rule has um, a sentence in the passport that says that they're required to leave the U.S. when they finish the J-1 program. Even if their company wants to sponsor them later on, they can, but they have to go back and be in their country for two years. Because they have to do what they learned here, right? Because that's the purpose of the program. Okay, okay. There's so many different different ways that these immigration laws can, you know. Yes. (laughs) Immigration law is a world. (laughs) It is, it is. You know, um, explain a little bit about, and I hate touching on this, but Biden's the way that they're handling the immigrants, the illegal immigrants right now. The illegal? Illegal ones, yes. Okay. I know. What what exactly do you want us to talk about? (laughs) I just want to know, what what is the U.S. position right now? As far as immigrants that are already here, maybe not legally, you know, what is the, the laws as far as that's concerned? Okay. So it's really important, and, and that question is, is great. So yeah. our listeners and viewers can understand mm-hmm. that we continue to have the mm-hmm. same immigration law, the only immigration law from 1997, which is known as IRAIRA, or Immigration Nationality Act. That has not changed. We have tried, and when I say we, you know, is the um, American Immigration Association of Attorneys, attorneys from immigration attorneys. Um, we believe our system needs to improve and right. needs to start with the law. So that's why there has been so many um, topics and subjects and conversations about a reform, right? But right. we still have the same law since 1997. However, because immigration is enforced by different agencies, not only by one. It's a big, it's, I tell my clients that it's like a Macy's, like yeah. a big department store, right? So each department has their sets of internal rules 
on how they go about the process and how they enforce the law. They cannot go against the law, but they can regulate how they will enforce them. To answer your question, the immigration law continues to be the same. If you're here illegally, it is a crime. It is a violation of the immigration law. It is a violation of the law. You still have the same applications if you are married to a United States citizen or you were detained now you're in court and you have been here 20 years. You have family that are immediate relatives, citizen or residents. You have paid your taxes. You don't have criminal record. You can apply for some waivers, such as cancellation of removal within the court to see if the judges, if the judge will favor its discretion and approve your application. What I want to say is that even though we have another precedent, that it is, I believe, pro-fairness in a way. Right. Immigration, illegal immigration law continues to be illegal. Okay. And if you come through the border you're still going to be detained. You're still going to be processed. If you commit a crime and you're here undocumented, you will be placed in removal proceedings. More likely than not, you will end up with a deportation order. However, there is an expectation and hope that we can have this citizenship law of 2021 approved, which is what is in Congress right now, right? And they haven't voted on it. It has just been presented, but yeah, they haven't voted on it. This law, if approved, it will allow, they say 11 million people. I don't believe it's going to be 11 million people. I believe it might be half of that. Why? Because there's a lot of qualifications and requirements for that undocumented person inside the United States to be able to benefit from that law if approved. What, I, what do I mean by this? The person has to be here physically and continuously with good moral character for over 10 years, doing their taxes, filing their taxes properly, um, not owing any taxes, not owing any child support, having a clean record, right? right? Having ties to the United States, proving that they deserve to pay this fee, yeah. which is going to be like, it, it, it can, you can say like a ticket, right? They will pay this fee because they came in illegally and yes, they violated the law. So that will be the, the fee that they will have to pay. Mm-hmm. And they have to show that they comply with all of these requirements in order to be able to benefit from this law. If, if the law is approved, they will get a temporary residency for six years, mm-hmm. not a permanent, temporary, six years. If they continue to comply all the way through year number six, they will have the choice to apply and renew for another six years of temporary residency or apply for the permanent residency that we have right now. And eventually, five years later, for their citizenship. So it's not a free ticket. No, it's not. No, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) And you answered my question, uh, you know, as far as how long does the immigration process take to get approved um yes it's really not (laughs) really long time really long time um but it can be anywhere from like 12 months to 18 months can you explain a little bit about the lottery process the lottery it comes in as well in what is called the visa bulletin right the visa bulletin has different categories and depending on your application and the country you're from is 
the day that the Department of State is working on those applications. So when you go to the visa bulletin, you need to see if your application, if the date of your application is already current or how long do you have to wait. Regarding the lottery, if you win the lottery, you have to act within a year, within that year that you won the lottery with the Department of State and the National Visa Center. So you can actually say, hey, this is my number, right? I won the lottery and here's my application. It's not only the lottery, I still need to prove that I meet all the other requirements, right. that I qualify, that I, don't, that I am not inadmissible to the United States, either due to criminal grounds, health grounds, public charge grounds. So once that, those are applica applications are reviewed and approved, then within that year, which is really constrained, because if not, you lose it, right. then you're supposed to get your residency. Right, right. So when it comes to my business, okay, how can I hire workers with a legal status? Okay, you know? so the federal government um, created this system, which is E-Verify, right? Mm -hmm. to try to make it just and fair for the American worker, but also for that foreign immigrant worker that is here legally. Mm -hmm. And they want to make sure that they both pay the same wage or relatively the same wage, depending on their experience and education right. and the occupation that they have, right? And they have to go through the system called E-Verify. The employer, the owner of the business, American or not, needs to comply with this process, meaning that the employer has to make sure that who, who I am employing is legal in the United States, has a working authorization to be able to generate income in the United States and actually report the income to the IRS, which is another sensitive and really important subject in immigration. Yes. <laughs> but now when we talk about companies, U.S. companies sponsoring. Okay, what are we talking about there? When we talk about U.S. companies sponsoring employees, you mean? Yes, yes. When they're outside the United States? Right. Okay, many times they have to get approved a labor certification, and mm -hmm. that is through the Department of Labor. When they go through the Department of Labor, let's say I'm Coca-Cola, and I am going to go through the Department of Labor and say, I need 100 workers to do a, a specific um, manufacturing job, or whatever. right? Yeah. And I have tried to hire American workers. I have tried to hire um, even legal immigrants that are here, but I don't have the demand. And this is the job that I need. And this is the, the number of people I need. And this is why I need it. So the Department of Labor is going to ask Coca-Cola to prove that in fact, Coca-Cola did the diligences to hire the local American and the legal immigrant that is in the United States. Why, how? Well, I need to go to the newspaper, the local newspaper, to the social media and advertise the positions and advertise how much I'm willing to pay and the benefits of the position. Once I get through the Department of Labor and my certification of um, labor is approved, then... I go to immigration and through immigration, I apply for my hundred workers to do this specific job. And then immigration is going to say, okay, because you have your um, labor certification approved for a hundred workers to do exactly this, 
Um, now your I 140s, right, or your I 129, depending on what you're applying for, will be approved, and your employees, foreign workers, and immigrants can start coming in to the United States with this application. And how long are they allowed to stay? Again, depending on the category, but normally if it's an H-2A and H-2B, you're talking about six months. So it depends. So they would have to keep renewing it then? Correct. And if not many times they come here, they do the work they were hired for, they leave, and the next year they come back again. Okay. that's the way it continues. Okay. So if I come over on a, um, a tourist visa, how hard would it be to tr- move, change that to a business visa? Okay. So business visas, um, again, are divided or subdivided into different categories. And one of them is the investor's visas. And the other ones is the employment-based visas. So if I'm a tourist or if I'm a student or if I'm even in the J-1 without the requirement of having to go back to my country, or a religious worker or an an artist, I have the opportunity to request immigration to change my status. Important to know that you have to be in status to change your status. If it's day number 180 and I was supposed to leave today, then I'm late and I need to leave. I cannot file any application. Immigration has to have your application to change status and another application to continue on your status before that status is expired. So you can have the opportunity to change what you have for something else. If not, you don't have anything to change it for. Right. So it doesn't matter the visa you're in, you can apply to change your status if you're eligible, obviously, and you comply with all the requirements, but it has to be before it expires. Right, right. And if I came here with a student visa and I um, study in UCF, I study business, and I want to stay in the U.S., then I need an employer who's willing to sponsor me because immigration also requires that that employer pays for the entire process and shows that they pay. Right. Right. Wow. Now, when I was down in Brazil, now I went in under a business visa. Okay. Um, To Brazil? Into Brazil. Yes. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. I went in, I I had to get a sponsor company down in, in, and luckily I had a representative that worked with me and she was able to sponsor me going down there. But uh, I went in with a business visa into Brazil. So uh, that's the only way I could do it. I couldn't go. And and just curious, how was their immigration um, process? Slow. (laughs) Slower than ours. Then it's just the same. (laughs) Yes. Slower than ours. They can't even get in to get a, a simple tourist visa. Oh, wow. And stuff like that. So, yeah, it's very slow, very slow. But uh, absolutely love Brazil. Interesting that you had that experience the other way around. Well, you know, the funny thing is, is it was back in 2009 when we were at the peak of our recession. And what had happened was I was laid off from one of the world's largest general contractors. And and at the time, the whole world was going through, you know, a, a recession. And the only country that was actually coming out of it faster than anybody was Brazil because they had won the World Cup Games and the Summer Olympic Games for 2016. So, you know, with my experience, I knew I could go down there and I could 
open up relations so that companies from the US that were suffering that wanted to break in internationally, I could match them. So that's how I did it until they started meeting, having their own recession. Then I pulled back, but you know, um, how, long were you there for? Huh? how long were you there for? I pro- probably, I would go down about four times a year, spend about three weeks, four weeks at a time. Oh, nice. Okay? And it was over a four year period, four and a half year period. So definitely um, an eye opening experience, definitely a learning experience. But what what I found um, working in Brazil is um, the cultural differences, the cultural differences, doing business here and doing business down there in, you know, whereas here we might have a business meeting, it might, you know, that business meeting might last an hour and you get right to business. You start talking that way, you know, that's it. (laughs) You go down there or, and I understand a lot of countries are like this. It's three, four hours later that you're actually talking business. You have to start to get relationships built on, like each other and then get to business. And that's exactly it. And the other thing that um, was really fascinating about Brazil is Like I said, I had a representative down there. Uh, She was Brazilian. She was multilingual. And um, she was, at the time that she came out with me, she was 82 years old. I'm telling you, I hope I have half her energy at that age. But she was an ex-congresswoman for Rio. And it worked out in my favor because the gatekeepers there, um, she would go in behind and deal with the parents of who I wanted. Like at that time it was Mayor Cabral, you know, things like that. She would actually go to the parents and say, I want your son or your daughter to meet with. And she would get. Wow. What a great connection. I know. Wasn't it? But, uh, and, but with companies, you know, people that I know from down there that are coming here under the L one, you know, and things like that. Um, they are having a very hard time dealing with the cultural differences from down there to here because it's so much faster and they're not used to that. And they're not here used to, tend to be really, when you say, and it's true, we, yep. we think of time as money. So right. because we think of time as money, um, we tend to be not so tactful, <laughs> I would say, or, yep. or mm-hmm. maybe a little bit rougher because we just want to get things done. Right. Um, and yeah, it's really different. I went to, uh, when I was in college, I had the opportunity to study abroad in Italy with two Italian sisters. I chose to be with an Italian family and it was so different. It was eye-opening. It was the same, even though I'm Hispanic and I'm used to long dinners, I had never been in a table for three and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> the first, the first, um, the first Italian dinner I ever had, we had some good friends in, in Albuquerque and it was a Thanksgiving dinner. And, um, I didn't know at the time it was a five, six course. <laughs> oh my God. And after the first course I was stuffed. And then <laughs> the next thing, you know, there's another course coming out. I mean, it went until 10, 11 o'clock at night. So yes, there's a lot of cultural differences. <laughs> When you're dealing, you know, with this um, one last question, um, we talk about um, immigration and we talk about the Sebring area that you're in and everything. And when we start talking about the field workers and things like that, OK, 
you know, normally we think, okay, those are very low paid workers, you know, that type deal. How are they being protected? One of the things that the employer or the owner of the grove, for example, has to do other than the E-Verified to make sure that he's protected because they are legal or they have work permit. When they bring them to do this work, part of the requirements from um, USCIS, the immigration agency, is that they have to pay for the employee that they're bringing for the airplane, for their stay in the United States, um, and they have to you know, pay their weekly or bi-weekly paycheck. And if for some reason then they decide to fire the person or the person you know, can't continue to work, they have to relate it, they're supposed to report it to the Department of Labor and the Department of State. But even though it has gotten better, with the years and aud- and auditories is still, you can still hear the farmers say, you know, we're treated differently. They deduct payments in our check for the state that we have, even though in the contract when we came, they were supposed to pay for that. Um, we had to pay, I don't know, $500, $2,000 to get our passport and get here. And they're still deducting that from our paycheck. But these people are afraid Wow. And many of them do not know their rights and do not know that if they report it, they would be protected by state and federal law and many times even be able to stay in the U.S. So they just stay quiet. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, I've I've heard some stories and, uh, you know, I was just curious how how protected are they? But that's that's interesting to know. So that concludes one of our podcasts, an exciting one here. So Charlene, tell everybody how they can get a hold of you should they need to reach out to you. Thank you, first of all, for having us. It has been great getting to know you and having this conversation. I love what I do. I'm really passionate about it. I can tell. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Well, I I feel it is a field of law that is really grateful. And, And when you change a client's life, you change a family's life. Yeah. So I, I do love what I do. Um, you can get a hold of us to in four 407-710-9026 in Orlando, Florida. And the name of your company is Central Florida Immigration Attorneys, Central Florida Immigration Attorneys. We have offices in Seabring and in Orlando. Thank you, Charlene. Well, this is Dana Olivo with Marketatomy and Charged Up Studios. And that concludes another episode. We'll see you next week. And you can always reach us at info at chargedupstudio.com. You can follow us on LinkedIn, on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube, and contribute to our platform on Patreon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.